On this episode of The Katie Halper Show, we are joined by Chris Cobb, an artist and writer who spearheaded the effort to get New York City to recognize the site of a former slave market on Wall Street with a plaque. We're also joined by Ted Alexandro, a comedian and Occupy Wall Street activist who is at the unveiling. We got him right before he leaves for a 30-city tour with stand-up comedian Jim Gaffigan. Also joining us is Desiree Birch, the performance artist and comedian whose show Tar Baby is on its way to Edinburgh. Nate Silver of 538 comes into the studio to talk about a study that finds that black Americans are killed at 12 times the rate of people in other developed countries. You can listen to The Katie Helper Show every Wednesday at 6 p.m. on WBAI.org or 99.5 FM. You can also find us on SoundCloud and on Tumblr at thekatiehelpershow.tumblr.com. And on the next episode of The Katie Helper Show, we'll be joined by Johan Harry, author of Chasing the Scream, The First and Last Days of the War on Drugs, and the political comedian Justin Williams. I'm Katie Halper. This is The Katie Halper Show. Yes. Yes. And. Yes, and. Thank you. That's an improv joke for all the people out there. Hi, everyone. How's it going? We have a full house. There are more people people in this room. Than in the Republican. Uh, No. Yes, yes. and. Than in the Republican race. Absolutely. Yeah. Desiree Birch is here looking so ecstatic. If you could see her face, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like her cheeks are knocking into the walls. Joy. Yeah, sideways though. Sideways. Way far As a, out. Right. Not vertically. Vert- yeah, <laughs> not exactly. the vertical wall, which we call ceilings, but not everyone accepts yeah, that linear patriarchal. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Um, hi, hi, Desiree. How are you? I'm all right. Well, yeah, we're going to say I'm all right. We're going to say you're all right. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> Our perspiration suggests something else, yeah, but our know. attitude. It's, it's tropical. We yeah, are very tropical, tropical. yes. Very we were playing tropical. some Brazilian Sound music. All of the surroundings was just right. suggesting right. buildings. But if we, we're going to do some um, EMDR <laughs> therapy and we're going to get there. Desiree Birch is a, an actress, solo performer, comedian, and she's going to be talking to us about her show, Tar Baby. It's spanking, spanking renewed. <laughs> would, would you say that? I don't even know when one would say that, but you you've done it before, but you're yes, bringing but it, it now. It has evolved. It has evolved. Okay, so, so yeah, it's an so evolved tar baby. Yeah, it's like it a tar is. toddler by uh-huh. now. Exactly. Okay. It's, yeah, and rompers and doing and rompers. creative things. Nice and talking back. Awesome, Ted. You can. I see you laughing. Don't hold it in. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Are you just one of those people who doesn't laugh out loud? No, I do. Oh, okay, <laughs> just not on radio, not on radio. But we're, ju- oh. we're jumping the queue. You I know, know we're jumping. You're right. He's. The, I'm with the most respect. I love how all comedians are totally terrible people, except for the ones who are with me. And I like that they're not terrible. But when you're doing radio, I kind of wish you guys were more obnoxious. Yeah. This has become a motif. Gabe like very politely looks away. When he's about to laugh. I cover my mouth. You cover your mouth. I'm very polite. You're very polite. Yeah, demure. Demure. You're a demure. You're a demure uh, motivator. Like well, I, encourage, I, I encourage. You encourage, I encourage right. More visually than... More visually, more. right. Which is cool, because radio is a very visual medium. Right, to have like a very visual, physical comedian right. on your show as right. your sidekick is kind of... Right. It's a unique It's a unique way to right. do things. Until I've been introduced, You're right. I, don't, I feel you don't, like I don't exist. Is that, are you checking your male privilege? Why male privilege I'm checking there? all of my privilege. All of it, okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> this is Ted Alexandro. Well, we jumped to the queue. I know, but I'm going... It's okay. There's, All right. No. I'm, I'm actually inverting it on purpose. Let's do it. This whole thing is like Memento, the radio show, by the way. So this is Ted Alexandro. Hi, everybody. Hi, Ted. Uh, you may have heard of him. Comedian, mm-hmm. activist, Occupy Wall Street activist, going on a 30-city tour with Jim Gaffigan this summer. That's right. Hashtag NBD. And we have another guy who's also kind of NBD, which is Chris Cobb. Chris Cobb is kind of responsible for the fact that there is now a plaque recognizing the existence of a slave market on Wall Street. Uh, yeah, that's correct. That's um, correct. Okay, part go. of why I think uh, Ted 
is um, a little bit nervous is because he got his hair done just for this. Oh, I thought you just had your makeup done. You guys aren't live in studio, but Ted is very sun-kissed right now. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. But you did your hair, too. What did you do? Frosted tips? No, I just uh, set the old shear on number three, and then I go to town, everything from the neck up. Oh, a number three day. Yeah. Okay, got it. <laughs> All right, Gabe, do you ever shear yourself? Like a lamb. I go to the hair cutter and I go, can I just have three inches off all over? All over your body. Yeah, all over my body. Right. Furry man. And uh, You couldn't tell because they do such a good job that they absolutely take it off. You I don't see any fur. I look hydrodynamic right now. Smooth. Smooth. Like, like a baby porpoise. Tar baby porpoise. Yeah, it's a tar toddler now. A tar tot. You're right. Thank you yeah, for reminding me. Speaking back. Speaking back. Talking all right. Back. Oh, my God. Reggie, hello. Hello. Gabe, it's your romance partners i know he didn't have a microphone i didn't want to um, here get reggie say hello you want to take my mic for the entire show <laughs> yeah, I do, hello hi thanks okay. reggie johnson on the engineering keyboards tickling the ivories of sound and <laughs> <laughs> looking good right and of course with my main man i can't believe i just said that my main man dave pacheco howdy everybody it's me <laughs> gabe pacheco howdy howdy partner <laughs> camille is here Say hello. Hello. Camila's our Sunkist intern. We're being sponsored by Sunkist today. <laughs> um, guys, okay, this is the Katie Halper Show. We're talking about some really important stories. We also have Nate Silver, the best-selling author, coming in later, so you're going to want to stick around. I want to hear more about this oh, plaque. Oh, we're going to go there. Okay, I'm just, plaque? yeah, we're getting to the plaque. Okay. We're going to floss and get to the plaque. Thank you. You're welcome, Dad. Thank you. I hope you're listening, because that was for you and everyone Dad else. Wants. Before we get into the plaque discussion, it's a day of the week, so that means we have what? A Trump date? A Trump update? We need to know where he's at. We today. need to know where he's at. Now, good friend of the show, Sam Alkoff. You may have heard of the show he works at. It's called Democracy Now!, not to be confused with Oligarchy Yesterday, which is where Gabe used to intern, I believe. He told me that there is a state park named after Donald Trump. Did you guys know this? Is it in New York? Yeah. Wow. It's like in Putnam, Westchester. I think that we should unname it, like take his name off of it. Unname my park. You, oh my God, you prepared for the show. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Tony Braxton, thank you. Yeah. I was about to call her some, Tony Morrison, but that's not that racist, though. Because there are only two women who I know who are famous who are Tony oh, something. Tony. Then there's Tony, Tony, Tony. That's but, yeah. right. Three different spellings. That's right. <laughs> Reggie constantly <laughs> snipes my references from the corner. I love it. My heart is broken by the fact that there's a state park named after Donald Trump. So I was thinking we could name it after like a Mexican. Who do you want to name it? We could name it after Gabe Pacheco. Well, he, I, Mexican. I don't, know, I don't know if I've accomplished anything yet to, uh, to, to get it. As opposed to Trump? Yeah. Yes. Good call. <laughs> you know what? Call. Maybe I've done more. What about Dolores Huerta? We could name it after her. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. She'd That'd be the be best, man. Uh, she doesn't get enough recognition. She doesn't. It's no. all Cesar Chavez. Sa Cesar Chavez gets it all. It, he, Baez. We could name it after John Baez. A, a wonderful... She's, she's Armenian, though, I think. Mexa-Irish, uh, I thought. No, she's Mexican. You're thinking of the Kardashians, who often get confused with the Baez that. family. She's definitely... She was born in Staten Island, but... Her heritage is Mexican. And Irish. She's Irish-Mexican. Irish. Irish. She's a quesadilla right. with potatoes. Yeah. Speaking of things in New York that are named after terrible things and involve the uh, mistakes of awful rich white men. How's that for a segue? <laughs> uh, Welcome, everyone. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I'm here all week. I'm not. I'm here all show. A former slave market was finally recognized, thanks in large part to the work of one of our first guests. If you walk around the city... There are plaques, historical markers, signs informing tourists and New Yorkers alike of the important heritage and pedigree of our city, like where President George Washington slept or 
Here you can find the Starbucks bathroom open to the public. That is not totally disgusting, right? Or like the, the Seinfeld Diner. Right, the Seinfeld Diner, right? But one of the things that doesn't really get acknowledged quite as much as things like Seinfeld Diners is the thing like sites of slavery. But some people did something about that, and they put a marker on Wall Street acknowledging New York's municipal slave market. And the plaque starts... On Wall Street between Pearl and Water Streets, a market that auctioned enslaved people of African ancestry was established by a common council law on November 30th, 1711. This slave market was in use until 1762. Brooklyn-based writer and artist and activist Christopher Cobb spearheaded the call for the plaque. And Ted Alexandro, the comedian and activist who's here with us too, was there. I was present, yeah. And, I, you know, Chris is a very humble man, but uh, he... I'm not going to say single-handedly because, you know, he worked with uh, Jumani Williams and people. many people, but he was very dogged in his pursuit of having this sign put up on Wall Street to mark uh, the, the slave trade that, that took place there. So I'm, I'm really impressed, and, and that's why I, I went out uh, to show my respect to Chris and all the people who worked hard to, to get that sign up. And how did this idea come to you, Chris? Well, it's kind of hard to explain in a comedy context. Don't, but don't. We'll do the work. For you, <laughs> we got dad jokes and dad puns. Yeah, that's right. yeah, yeah. I mean, if you if you guys can handle that, and yeah. I can kind of talk a little sure. bit about for the sure. history, and we'll just lay a laugh track over it. Okay, afterwards. yeah, It'll sure. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to say too that I found that during this process, that um, artists tend to be equipped with more tools than just activists or say scholars, and um, you know, same with comedians because they have a lot of different methodologies to talk about things and culture without it being like slapped down or ignored. You know, you're not going to lose your job if you bring something like this up, you know? And so mm -hmm. like, you know... you already don't have one. If you're right, you don't have... Right, <laughs> comedians, artists, you know, they have that in common. How did you even realize it existed? I write arts and culture articles for a few different publications, and, and I came across it in, in my research, and I started talking to some Occupy activists I knew, and they didn't know much about it. And I realized that it had been like 300 years since that market had been established, and nobody put up any kind of marker there. It just kind of seemed like a ridiculous oversight. How do you view the significance of symbolic gesture? Although this isn't just symbolic, right, because it's a plaque, but it's also actually educational, right? And it's going to raise people's awareness about it. What do you think of something like reparations, though? Uh, oh, was that? Sorry. Too soon for reparations? <laughs> oh, no, that was, that oh, that was, was just a cough. I thought you were wheezing with emotion. That was just a cough. Sorry, sometimes, like Freud said, it's just a cough. Sometimes, a cough, a, just a, sometimes cough. a cough is just a cough. Right. Yeah, but you never know with Reggie, man. You never I know. know. <laughs> That's probably why. I was like, what is he yeah. trying to communicate to me? No, that no, sneaky, no, no, sneaky no, no, Reggie. No, no. We, we pass these signs all the time, or, the, or, or these monuments, but you don't realize the genesis of it. Because it, it wasn't just you made a phone call and they said, sure, we'll put that sign up about the slave market. Uh, it was a process well, of a few well, years, right? Yeah, it was several years. It just kind of went through the city government and city council bureaucracy from agency to agency. But um, the mayor became aware of it apparently like in March or April, and that's when it started to actually look like it was going to crystallize. And, mm. and so that's when the uh, new meaning to executive decision came about. And sure enough, just a couple months later, boom, it was done. What were some first, uh, some of the first steps that you took to, to really bring it together? I wouldn't want to say anything bad about Occupy Wall Street, but a lot of people were not equipped with the resources necessary to, to approach the city. 
And so um, I, I had to kind of take it out of the Occupy context. I thought it would be also disrespectful or almost arrogant of like an individual activist, especially a white yeah. activist, to suddenly claim he knew everything about this culture that he doesn't know. Like, let me tell you what happened to you right. people. Right. It's called white-splaining. Right. I've, I've learned. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I hope someone white didn't explain that to you. I'm telling you. Um, <laughs> so I thought the best way to cover my personal ass was to get more people involved to spread the blame around. Mm. Right. So, uh, and I thought, you know, the best people to blame would be the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture because if they write the text, nobody can say I'm a bad person, right? So I, I mean, went they to... Could, they, they could, but they'd have <laughs> right. to say the Schomburg is bad too. They would have, and that would be a Schomburg Shonda. If you will. Okay, well, I'm telling you. Shame in Yiddish. Desiree, don't hold it in. (laughs) She's laughing. I want you to know when I say don't hold it in. It's not that they're not laughing. You may think it's not worthy of their laughter, but they, for whatever reason, guilt, um, disbelief are. I just want you to know. The director of the Schomburg, his name is Dr. Khalil Gibran Muhammad. I didn't know he was, what, the grandson of. Elijah oh. Muhammad. Oh, oh, wow! I did not know that. Yeah, well, the prophet, um, the honorable. Does he know that there's a Schomburg is the name. He's da- he's okay with that. If you were in the same room with Dr. Khalil Gibran Muhammad, you would think this man smells really clean. He dresses in three-piece suits. You know, he has style. His shoes are I'm shiny. Not, okay, yeah. You see a lot of directors of organizations. They oh, don't. They I don't have attention. Okay, there's no yes. attention to detail. Right. You know? Right. Uh, you're but this right. is oh, a yeah, man yeah, yeah. who's very the, conscious of his. He, he his, doesn't wear the lefty scholarly no activists. Way. Like I will right. not bathe in solidarity with people who are denied clean water. <laughs> when the mayor actually did come out for the unveiling ceremony. Ironically, Mayor himself was the second most clean man I've ever smelled in my life. After who? And I thought, oh my, after Khalil Jabal oh, okay. Muhammad. Wow, yeah. so you don't throw those labels around lately. And, okay. But he was with his wife, right. too. The and cleanest I, smelling of them all. Well, <laughs> she must have a hand in this cleanliness thing with the mayor. Right. <laughs> got, well, to, got to think. It always starts at the top. It always starts. Behind every clean man is a That's very, right. very um, powerful woman who used to only date women. Until with the loofah. She, met. she did. <laughs> That's right. Right? Yeah. I I like that Bill de Blasio is a spinner, by the way. Hmm. I want a mayor who has that power. Talk about executive power. That's right. That's some executive power, right? (laughs) Speaking of which, this is First Lady of New York City, Shirlane McRae, the wife of Bill de Blasio, speaking at the dedication of the plaque. How many New Yorkers know that our city's slave market was rivaled only by the slave market in Charleston, South Carolina? And how many New Yorkers know there were years when up to 20% of city residents were slaves? So let us remember today and every day that the buying and selling of a people for profit and material gain took place right here. Let us remember that the roots of slavery run deep. Although slavery was abolished 150 years ago, Those roots have fueled income inequality, discrimination, and segregation, many of the thorny issues which continue to plague us today. Nothing we can do can reverse the pain or change our city's history. But if we are to heal and make true progress, we must acknowledge what has happened here. Well, thank you, Chris, so much. You're going to have to come back. Where can people find you online? Um, I'm not. Really, I don't have a website okay, like Ted Alexander. So what about uh, on Instagram at Brooklyn Onion? Oh yeah, I have a Brooklyn <laughs> oh, <that's> Brooklyn <laughs> Onion. Brooklyn Onion, and that's on Twitter and Instagram. I mean, that's great, man. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you for helping cool. um, uh, bring some of our history in the city uh, to life and back to well, not bringing the market back to life, but sort of bringing it oh, back yeah. into the public eye. Uh, see, so that it's we tricky see. to make it funny. Yeah. 
Well, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I'm just. Yeah, I'm literally was a history major. I'm just saying that I love we that. We find out it's his favorite subject. Oh. Really, congratulations! And this whole city thanks you, and this state, yes. the country, Absolutely. the nation. You're a great patriot. And we were talking with Chris Cobb uh, and Ted Alexandro. Both of them were present at the uh, dedication of the slave market on Wall Street that Chris helped bring into existence. Ted was there to support him. Ted's also a major activist, Wall Street activist, um, Occupy Wall Street activist, not like a stockbroker. That's right. Know, that's Occupy right. Wall Street, not pro Wall Street. He's like not the Gordon Gecko of stand-up. Yes, he is, he's often <laughs> been called that, though, <laughs> yes. at least in my mind. And we are so excited to be joined live in studio by Desiree Birch. Hey. A solo performer, <laughs> hilarious comedian. I've performed with her. I've laughed so hard at her. She has Mutually a show. So. Thank you. She also laughed at herself as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty good. It's pretty good stuff, right? It's <laughs> awesome stuff. She has a show, Tar Baby. Yes. And it's part of the Edinburgh Festival. Uh, yeah, the East to Edinburgh Festival. East to Edinburgh yeah. Festival. So I want to talk to, about comedy, politics, race, racism, the process with both <laughs> of you guys. Cool. But before we sure. do that, I thought we could actually play some of your content so our listeners get a sense of what, uh, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say comedic geniuses. I'm just going to go out there and say that. Gabe, do you sanction that? Yeah, absolutely. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. First, we're going to start with a clip from Ted Alexandro talking about the hilarious subject that is police brutality. Mm -hmm. Where is this, by the way? Downtown, I yeah, the West Village, shortly after okay. the uh, Eric Garner case. Okay, great. Thank you. Police brutality came to the fore. I don't think there was necessarily a rise in it. I think um, all of a sudden now we, ha we all have cameras in our pockets. It's not like, wow, the police really had a crazy year. <laughs> it's like, maybe this has been happening a while, but we didn't know about it. And that's part of the disconnect. People think, it doesn't happen to me, so it can't be true. Just because you haven't experienced something doesn't mean that it's not real. Think of police brutality like a Tyler Perry movie. You may have never seen one. <laughs> But that doesn't mean they don't exist. <laughs> You're not the intended audience. S same with police brutality. <laughs> and the other part of the equation, even more importantly, I think, is this uh, implication that we're not allowed to talk about the police. We're not allowed to discuss how they're doing. You see cars in New York City all over the place. Phone numbers on the back. How's my driving? You can just pick up, oh, I don't like that guy's driving. <laughs> <laughs> but somehow we're not allowed to say, uh, it seems like the cops have been killing a lot of black people. <laughs> I, don't I don't know what the answers are other than talking, you know, talking out loud sometimes. Sometimes into a microphone, sometimes not. And feeling it, feeling it. Because it's uncomfortable, right? You even feel it here now. Even talking about police brutality is uncomfortable. But at least it's not police brutality. <laughs> Imagine what Ben was feeling. <laughs> it's better than that. Maybe that should be the new program. The cops just come up and talk to black people about police brutality. <laughs> black people are like, this is really uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, but we have scaled back. <laughs> that was Ted Alexandro making police brutality funny. And yet, at the same time, I think doing what is... A comedian's job, ultimately, hopefully, which is making something very, very serious funny, but also not trivializing it or making light of it. And we'll talk about more about how you yeah. do that. 
Mm -hmm. um, but that's kind of what struck me about that is that you're not dismissing it, you're taking it seriously, and you're also mocking the people, but not the people who are at the receiving end of police brutality. So, right. um, and then another clip that I would like to play for you guys now is from Desiree Birch's show, Tar Baby, which also deals with a serious issue of racism and manages to do it in a way that's neither dismissive nor disrespectful nor trivializing, but is funny. Just to set it up, this is her talking about auditioning for a play. Oh, a webisode. A webisode, a webisode sorry, even a webisode, better. A student film webisode. <laughs> yes. And you play a... Uh, some a, black a character Randy, they wrote in at a, the last minute. A yeah. random black person. <laughs> like what Donald Trump would call one of the blacks. Uh-huh, believe, right? exactly. What's her name? La, uh, La, Quanvia, La Quanvia is the show. Is her, is her name. <laughs> and you have to say, hold the elevator. It's and a, you try it many yeah. ways, right? And they're not... They're not picking up what you're putting down, so to speak. Right? Yeah, this is basically a, a sort of a dramatization of what happened in there. You know, I uh, hyper, uh, you know, blackified the name and right. hyper trivialized the material because that was essentially my experience with okay. the okay. process. Got it. So you <laughs> did onto the process what the process had done to you. Yeah. So that's that's justice, mm -hmm. my friends. Okay, so <laughs> Gotta get it somehow. You do, exactly. <laughs> so uh, while we wait for reparations. Uh-huh. Okay, so we're going to play that clip now. And then one of them, I'm a hipster with the facial hair made of irony. He, he gives me the actual piece of direction that they all wanted to give me by the time I walked in the door. He says, could you do it a little bit more urban? Okay. Um, Hold the elevator, forget about it! <laughs> no, no, uh, do it more street. Do it like the clumps. None of the things he's saying actually go together like... Does he want me to do it like I've got tiger paws and thug life tattooed on my titties? Or does he want me to do it like I live in a five-room tenement with a hundred different people from a thousand different countries? Or does he want me to do it like I'm in a bad Eddie Murphy movie where everyone's sitting around on the porch eating chicken fried steak and chicken fingers and their own fingers because they're too obese to move? They all do mean the same thing. They mean black to someone who has no idea what that means. He means do it more black because I'm not being black enough. And then there's this exchange look of, you know, and yeah, yeah, I got it. <laughs> Black it up. I say it, I say it. Hold the elevator. My told y'all to hold that motherfucking elevator. Brrrah, brrrah, brrrah. Bitch, I don't know why you ain't hold that elevator for me. Here, hold my baby. I'm a cut of it. Okay, that was Desiree Birch from Tar Baby. Pretty hilarious. Yeah, I guess that's got to be kind of insane to watch because I just do it and kind of like clown around, but everyone's like, yes, no. no right. <laughs> it's one of those like laugh, you laugh instead of cry things, perhaps. Yeah, right? it's, it's the like, oh, I'm laughing. Oh my God, it's so screwed up that I'm laughing, right. but also it's so screwed right. up. <laughs> right. So can you guys talk a little bit about your process, about how you deal with these serious things? how you came to be kind of politically conscious comedians. Did this come after your interest in comedy and performing? Did it come before? What's the relationship between the, 
those two things for you guys. Becoming more politicized as a, an artist or a comedian, I think it comes out of the practice of comedy because you are essentially searching for truth to communicate to people. Obviously, if you have certain experiences, you're going to talk about them. I have a lot of uh, intersectionality, as I guess they like to call it. So I talk about those experiences because there aren't necessarily a lot of those voices out there at this time. They're becoming more so. Uh, but I think, yeah, I think that that is... Uh, Talking about those things does become a political act when they are things that uh, are taboo for whatever reason. And I have a kind of like, oh, I need to touch it. Why isn't everybody ignoring it? Kind of thing. And so I think that it is a function of being a comic and kind of digging deeper. And you, you mentioned intersectionality. So you're yeah. talking about the the Kim Crenshawian, if you will, yeah. <laughs> idea of uh, having kind of multiple identities and at the intersection of race, gender, yeah. class, as opposed to just being a black person, mm -hmm. right? A black, as, a black, uh, you as, know, as Donald, Donald Trump, Trump would, would respectfully yeah. say. And of course, he, he has a great relationship with the blacks. With the blacks. As he himself noted. Yeah, of about course. About himself. Well, well, the Mexicans are going to beat the blacks in voting for him this year, Oh, apparently. we don't know. There's going to be a <laughs> Trump off. There's going to be an ethnic Trump vote off. We don't know who he's going to claim. First, actually, our next guest could talk about that. We have... Who we're going to have in studio, I'm not going to give it away, except listeners already know. It may or may not be, it may or may not be Nate Silver. But uh, I just realized that, like, wow, I didn't even think of the Trump, the ethnic uh, Trump off that we're mm -hmm. going to do. He's going to break it down. He's got a lot of, I believe Ali G calls them Zen diagrams. Um, <laughs> Ted, what about you? What about, how do you come at this? Is it comedy before politics, politics before comedy? I think Occupy Wall Street for me was kind of the awakening when I started participating more in, you know, the, the movement, uh, just more and more people having these conversations out in the open. Um, so kind of an education for me, you know, just kind of paying more attention, reading more, uh, watching the right things, reading the right things, just being in the right communities. Um, so for me, first and foremost, it's an education. Then, then it's the decision, do I incorporate that into my comedy or not? Because it's very easy not to. Mm -hmm. But as an artist, I think it's important that the conversations that we're having in real life should make their way to the stage if you can do it in a funny way. And I don't like to be heavy-handed or dogmatic, um, but I do, if, you know, it, first I kind of have to work through the anger, and then if I can get to the funny, then I'll bring it to the stage. Right. Mm. That's really interesting, because I think that the left is way funnier. I'm obviously biased, but I think <laughs> yeah. the left is way funnier than the right, and I think a big reason that's true is because of empathy. Yeah. I think there's like a somewhat controlled experiment with Dennis Miller, who used to be funny, then he became conservative, and now whenever I listen to him, he's angry, but not in a kind of... Um, justice-oriented way or a uh, empathetic way. It's more like, wow, what did a woman or a black person do to you like mm. in your early childhood that you're dealing with and really yeah. angry about he, in a way that makes me really uncomfortable? Yeah, just, he's not angry with us. He's angry yes, alone. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. Or he's angry at us. At us, right? yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, so I think that's true. I think that's why you don't have someone on the right. Like you don't have a right wing Robin Williams. I don't yeah. think you ever will. Yeah. I, I'm I'm being honest. Like they yeah. have they have talk radio because yeah. that's short and uh, you know not nuanced. And besides this yeah. talk radio, which is very nuanced and long form. <laughs> but um, I I want to bring in our our, our next guest. Uh, really excited to have him on on his, on the show, making his debut. All of our guests are making their debut on the Katie Alba show, and that yeah. may be because we are turning a month old today. Oh, By the way, right. happy birthday, yeah. guys. Everyone. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you, Gabe, Reggie, Camille. It's all of our birthdays here, and you guys are the party favors. <laughs> nice. Okay? Feels good. Who's the so, pinata? Doesn't it feel good to, <laughs> to pay less? <laughs> right? Am I yeah, right? Yeah, always does. We are joined now 
by the man who made Math Sexy. I believe that's going to go on your tombstone. Nate Silver of 538, <laughs> uh, the author of the best-selling book. The what? Signal the signal, the signal the noise. noise. Yeah, but I was going to say, is that coming out in a, uh, in a sump? It's out. It's out I in mean, paperback. It's out, it's it's out, out in, in audio book. So there's no promotional. <laughs> no promotional, right? <laughs> well, I'm actually doing a choreo poem about it. I don't know if you know about this, but I'm going to do a choreographed poem, interpretive spoken word thing, where I summarize the book. I talked. You know, to your... I read. I read like a Cliff Notes version of my How book. How was it? It was pretty good. I have was to it? say, good. right? Like if I were someone, I would buy the Cliff Notes. If version you were someone, book. not not the like not a, a like Nate a Silver, lazy but a... A college student with oh, a lot right, to right, do. Right. College student, you were a college student with a lot to do at one point, right? I, I, w I was lazier than you might expect. Really? Yeah. You, you heard it here first, guys. This mm -hmm. is some major nice. investigative journalism. But Nate, you have a really interesting article that relates, sadly, to what we're talking about today. We are talking about racism because it's a Wednesday and it's the United <laughs> States. You have an article on your site, 538. It's titled, Black Americans are killed at 12 times the rate of people in other developed countries. If you compare the U.S. with other countries, the numbers aren't terrible, right? It's when you compare the U.S. with, with countries we would consider comparable. Well, this was, you know, mm. this, we wrote this in the wake of the Charleston shootings, and we always think as a newsroom about, um, are you too far zoomed in? Are you too far zoomed out? Right? Is this a story that we have expertise to cover or not? But there was a lot of dialogue about... Um, mass shootings in the U.S., which I thought kind of missed the point for, for two reasons. Mm. Um, one being that as tragic as mass shootings are, they represent a tiny fraction of the number of homicides that occur in the United States every, every day. Um, but also, the experience lived, I could say this as a white person, right, but the experience lived by white people in the U.S. is totally different than that by, by black people in particular. Um, right. If you're a white person, your chance of getting murdered every year is 2.5 out of 10,000, and that's similar to Finland... Chile, Israel, if you're a black person, it's 19.4. Wow. So almost eight times higher. That's more like developing countries that are war zones even, like Myanmar or Rwanda, Mexico, Brazil, Nigeria, places where they have vast disorder. And so to me, that stat wow. was just so yep. striking that I thought this was a case where, you know, even being kind of zoomed out, that was a data point that helped to inform the, the so, discussion. So basically, it's like when you are a black person living in America, it's like being a person living in Rwanda. In terms of the risk of being a victim of, of right. a homicide, yeah. That's... I don't want to say that um, obviously living conditions are more difficult for some people than others. Right. Um, and there's intersectionality, right? So there's issues of class and access, education, all that, right? Absolutely, right? And so, you know, again, we're not trying to get into the causes behind this, right. but just when you have a difference that that striking, to me, that was eye-opening, right. really. Even though I know people know that kind of in one sense. Every now and then you come across a stat where it's Right, just, it's totally yeah. drive it home. I have a question about the statistics, too. Was that a snapshot of uh, 2015 across the board with these countries? Are the conditions as bad now as they've always been, or has it gotten worse to be uh, a black in the United States? So the, relative, this data was yeah. from, I think, 2011 or 2012 when the UN did a report and tried to estimate in every country around the globe what the what the risk of being a homicide victim was every year. So they're a couple of years old. Um, you know, over the long run, things have gotten a little better. The crime rate is down from what it was in, in the 1990s, early 1990s, for example. The funny thing was people got all incensed about crime when Bill Clinton was president when it was already going down mm -hmm during his presidency. Um, so the data is a couple of years old, but still, um, 
you know, it seems self-evident to me that there's not been the sort of progress that you would consider remotely acceptable. Oh, well, like, because reasons I, I bring this up are I'm reading the new Jim Crow right now, and sort of with the, like, militarization of the police and with uh, war on drug laws, like, with those being implemented, did that increase the murder rates, uh, like, homicide rates around so we've, being we've also, African-American? We've also done articles about how many people are victims of, of police induced homicides, if you will. The Guardian now is doing some work on this, which is very good, mm -hmm. called The Counted as a project that they can follow their Twitter account. Um, this data just didn't even exist, really, right? There were estimates that included maybe about a third of the deaths that were actually occurring. Um, so I'm an editor now as well as a writer, and we think when a story occurs, is this a quote-unquote random act of violence, or is this representative of some broader trend? And I think these stories about police brutality, it's uncovering things that have been going on for a long time and that are very common experiences, right? And so this is a story that we think is worthy of, of our coverage. But yeah, just getting that, that data, you know, all types of data on crime and criminality is, is often very fraught because, you know, one problem is that if you're not there observing the crime, you might not record it. If you over-police, you might have a surge in crime. Oh, right. But, you know, something as fundamental as how many Americans are killed by police every year there's not very good data on that. You said it's more in keeping with places that uh, experience vast disorder. Mm -hmm. The words uh, vast disorder, I found that to be like really powerful. Maybe vast disorder is, is the right term for the experience of you know, black folks living here in the United States, right? Like that is their reality. So that's the, that when you said those, those words, it kind of struck me. Yeah, it's, and again, I don't know that I have the... Um, the standing kind of says as a white person, I've had my own encounters with <laughs> police at times, but like from what I think the data says, it's a common occurrence not to be killed by a police officer, but to have, you know, incidences where, where they're going up to and over the edge all the time, right? And now that we do have video cameras everywhere, you know, it's not a coincidence that all of a sudden now right. that we have means to record these things, all of a sudden these things crop up all the time, right? right. Desiree, I remember a couple months ago, you put something on Facebook about police brutality and, and this kind of insistence among some people to talk about it not as a racial issue. And you were kind of incredulous about this. I, I think that a lot of that was uh, cropping up quite repeatedly. I mean, I think well, we're talking a lot about race right now, right. which I guess which, is, yeah, is good. Is, it's is so funny. This, this is, is well, I mean, episode. but I think just uh, across the board around the country, I mean, I'm living in London. People are talking right. about it more there, too. They, they always come up to me and go, what's wrong with your country? And I'm like, right. okay, well, in you England, know. In England, they say that to you. <laughs> yeah, America, and it's yeah. interesting because right. it's like, you know, you guys got some stuff wrong, too. Yeah, I know, but I, know. I but Europeans but love telling me We have all the bullets, so. Yeah, exactly. It makes a difference. You may want to kill a lot of brown people. Yeah. All black people, but you don't have the access to do you know, it's this, yeah, yeah, exactly. I feel way safer there than I ever yeah. do here. I know the police are actually doing police work. And, and they not don't just, have guns. Yeah, and they're not just showing up to give me a hard time, I right. mean, or, you know, whatever else. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I do find it really interesting that, that it always wants to, you know, I at that time someone was, was trying to sort of go, like, you know, it's all about, you know, economics and class and right. all this other right, stuff. Right, right, and, right. and, you You're know, like, I mean. Marxist for five-year-olds, I get Yeah, it. but we built our class Marx. system on race. Like, that's right. what we used to, right. like, power it. Right. So we can't, obviously, we've got to talk about them both together. But, like, no one's thinking, oh, this is a poor black guy I'm shooting in the back. Do you know right. what I mean? They're just, like, black scary bang. Right, right. You know, right. and that comes from a very, very early point and all of the sort of uh, cultural indoctrination we do uh, to people about, you know, who's safe, who's not, right. you know, what we cleave to, all these other right. kinds of things. Yeah. Nate, maybe maybe we can do a Katie Helper Show 538 <laughs> co-study because yeah. I, I'm a hard worker 
and I'm not that into math, but I do like stats more than and logic and geometry, mm. so I'm open. But what I've always been curious about is it seems to me like you could be a black person or you could be a mentally ill white person. And you if you're a mentally ill white person, then you're treated like a quote unquote same black person. Because it seems like the most horrific police brutality instances that happen to white people, they're often mentally ill homeless white people who kind mm -hmm. of are denied to some extent the white privilege that... Well, generally data around crime, race, especially being black, dominates other considerations, right? It's not a case where, oh, it's outweighed by gender or class. Mm -hmm. um, so that inference you're making, I think, is, is probably right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, all right, so if it's a... I guess maybe that could be a uh, inspiring note to end on. A uh, what? A, they could be kind of some kind black of people solidarity. Are crazy white people. <laughs> yes, but guys, racists just think of black people as crazy white people, and then actually you won't treat them any better anyway. So we're gonna have to find another way to do that. But uh, guys, tell us where we can find you online. At Ted Alexandro. And we're gonna see you. I'm gonna follow you through every. Can I be a roadie through oh, your third Please, cities? yeah. I'm gonna I'll be the roadie. I, I'm I'm officially announcing it. I'm the roadie hey. for the. Ted Alexandra, Jim Gaffigan, Hot Comedy gig. Tour, 30 cities. 30 cities starting drive, July by the way, 15th. Because I'm a native New Yorker who never learned. I just want you to know that. <laughs> nice. Desiree, where can um, we see you? Not just this weekend at, at Tar Baby, but where else? Um, I'm uh, at Des the Ray at all the social media stuff, and my site is DesireeBirch.com. And Nathaniel? So my site is 538.com. The number is spelled out. My Twitter is at NateSilver538 as a number. So it's confusing. <laughs> That's like you. Thank, thank you. <laughs> you can find me at uh, Twitter, uh, Gabe underscore Pacheco. And we will be back at the Katie Halper Show next Wednesday from 6 to 7. And we'll be talking about uh, the war on drugs, actually. And it's going to be a great show. Check us out at WBI.org, 99.5 FM. We also have a Tumblr now, and we're on SoundCloud. So go to those sites. Thank you, Reggie, as usual. Thank you, Camille, as usual. Thank you, uh, the Young Lords, because I don't believe in God, but I like the Young Lords. So I'm going to start using them instead of the Lord. So, oh, the young lords. Oh, the young lords of mercy. Thanks, guys. See you next week.